Thanks for tuning in to the Lake Forest Church Podcast. Lake Forest is a community for people who have given up on church, but not on God. If you'd like to learn more about our churches in Huntersville, Davidson, and Denver, North Carolina, you can check us out online at lakeforest.org. Well, I recently saw an advertisement for a product that was marketed as a must-have item. Have you ever seen this kind of stuff before? Must-have item? This is when a company has a new product that they want to release, and, well, they want to compel you and me to buy it right away. We just can't live without this product. And, uh, but I was thinking about some of the must-have items. There are must-have clothes, uh, must-have shoes, uh, must-have sports cars, uh, must-have apps for your smartphone. Uh, but must-haves do not restrict themselves only to items. Uh, people have must-haves for people, too, don't we? Uh, employers have a list of must-haves for a new job hire. Uh, graduates have a must-have for uh, a new job prospect when, they, when they're out of school. And, but perhaps the greatest category of all the must-have categories is the category of dating. How many of y'all had a must-have list before you met your spouse, right? Just kind of own it, don't, all right, come, all right, I know, that's right, we don't have to admit it. I, I, I was thinking about, you know, uh, this a little bit, I, I actually read an article uh, about must-haves that women have for men, I'm not going to tell you the name of the magazine, but it's all about people, um, but in this magazine, it gave a list of the top three must-haves that women have for men, y'all ready for this? Here, here, here are the three. This might serve you. Uh, the first thing is uh, they've got to have a slightly shorter than average height, a small build with brown hair, and be a pastor. Um, it, it's true. You, you can do the research yourself. Uh, my wife is a lucky woman. Uh, but we've got must-haves in life. But we, we also have must-haves in faith. Christianity has some must-haves in it as well. In fact, during the uh, Reformation, one of the must-haves came to be known as solus Christus, solus Christus, Christ alone. The idea that we are saved by one thing and one thing only, that is the work of Jesus Christ. Peter, one of the early church leaders, put it this way. He said, salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. But it wasn't just Peter and the other early Christians. Jesus himself said some staggering things about this. this is, listen to these words of Jesus. He said this. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Wow. These are some remarkable claims, some profound statements. You see, we are in a series called Asking for a Friend, and we're looking at some of the most important questions about Christianity and about faith, questions that maybe our friends have or maybe we ourselves have, if we're honest. And the question that we come to today as we finish this series is the question about Jesus and this claim that he makes. And it's a really important question, especially for thoughtful people like you all in our modern world today. Here's the question that we're going to consider. Is Jesus really the only way to God? Is Jesus really the only way to God? Because to be honest, this question for a lot of us, it just makes us a little uncomfortable, doesn't it? 
Uh, like even if we believe this, there's a part of it that it, it, it just doesn't quite feel right or we're not sure what to do with this. The driving value in our culture today is the idea of tolerance or what you might call religious pluralism. We see this reflected in the writings of some of today's leading scholars and thinkers like Rabbi Shmuley Botiak, who says this, he says, I am absolutely against any religion that says one faith is superior to another. I don't see how that is any different than spiritual racism. Or how about this, the words of Mahatma Gandhi, who said the same idea. He said, my position is that all great religions are fundamentally equal. Or Oprah Winfrey, who puts it more directly, she says, one of the biggest mistakes humans make is to believe that there is only one way. Actually, there are many diverse pathways to God. But perhaps the best summation of this idea comes from the great NASCAR theologian, Ricky Bobby, <laughs> who when he was on fire after an accident, decided to cover all of the bases in prayer just in case, praying, save me Jesus, save me Jewish God, save me Allah, and save me Tom Cruise. <laughs> and I don't know where you are on this topic. I, I can tell you, there, there, there's a part of me that just kind of, I don't know what to do with this feeling that I have in our world today. I think there are two primary reasons why we struggle. Even, even if we believe this, we, we kind of wrestle with this a little bit. And the first is this. There's a part of it that just feels nicer if we could say, well, can't we all just get along? Everybody's faith. That's your deal. That's my deal. Right? There's a part of me that kind of likes that. That just feels nicer. Or maybe we like to think of the world as, as uh, just kind of a, a marketplace of religions, like the cereal aisle at Walmart where there are just lots of boxes and we can kind of pick and choose whatever we want because we're the ones in control. If there really is only one true way to God, then I might have to wrestle that one down and decide whether I believe that or not, whether I'm willing to submit to that or not. And these two issues make it hard for me to know, what do we make of Jesus? What do we do with this claim? So this morning, I, I want to look at three questions. Is, is Jesus simply a way to God and not the way? And if we say he is the way, isn't that kind of exclusive? Isn't that kind of arrogant? That's what I want to kick around with you this morning. So we're going to jump right in and take these questions one by one. First question that, aren't there many ways to God? Aren't there many ways to God? Most people today will admit there probably is a God. Uh, in fact, according to Barna's latest research, uh, thinkers in the 20th century thought that by the time we got to the 21st century, religion was going to be marginalized to a very small number of people. But on a global scale, the opposite has actually happened. Uh, religious faith and participation in spirituality has grown exponentially in the 21st century. But with so many different religions and worldviews, how are we to tell which one is right? If religion is like climbing a mountain, can't we just say that each religion is like a different path leading to that same mountaintop? This idea was kind of my worldview when I was younger. In fact, one of my philosophy professors loved to tell the story of the three blind men and the elephant. It's an old Indian tale that kind of captures this idea of religious pluralism. Maybe you've heard of it before. It goes like this. There once were six blind men who were invited to the king's palace. 
There inside the palace gates was an elephant. Now none of the blind men had ever encountered an elephant before, so they all gathered round and reached out to touch it. The first man touches a leg and says, an elephant is like a big tree. Another touches the side of the elephant and says, the elephant is a big wall. Another touches the tusk and says, it's like a spear. They all gather round to decide what an elephant is, but they couldn't agree, and they ended up in violent conflict. The king is suddenly awakened by this commotion, and he calls out from the balcony, saying, The elephant is a big animal. Each man has only touched one part. You must put all of the parts together to find out what an elephant is truly like. And supposedly, all the blind men marry beautiful princesses and live happily ever after. Okay, I made up that last part. But you see, there's something really appealing about this idea, isn't there? It has the trappings of like a kindness and a humility, and we kind of like this idea. I kind of want to believe this idea. It just seems so arrogant for any religion to claim that it has the corner on the truth market. And besides, if we are all right, then I can just go on living my life, and you could go on living your life, and just like politics used to be, we don't have to talk about it, right? The only problem is, the only problem was for me back in that time in my life, the closer I studied religion, the more this idea began to break down for me. And there were two things in particular that changed my mind, my thinking on this. The first was the actual person and teachings of Jesus. The first insight came when I actually sat down to read what Jesus had to say about himself and faith in the Bible. And there are some things that Jesus says about himself that I simply could not ignore. Some really profound, exclusive truth claims. Look at some of the things he says. First, in John chapter 8, Jesus speaks about his own eternal existence, saying, before Abraham was... I am. Oh, that's kind of big, Jesus. In Luke, he says, I saw Satan fall from heaven like lightning, which begs the question, where was Jesus standing when he saw that, right? Like box seats, like free hot dogs, popcorn. I mean, that's pretty incredible. Or how about this one, the one we opened with today? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. But it wasn't just the words of Jesus that troubled me, though they did. It was the other writers in the New Testament as well. Every single writer of every single book in the New Testament makes the same point. They make the same claim. It is through faith in Jesus, his death and resurrection, that we are saved. It is in Christ alone. So I came to this place where I had to make a decision. I could make the conclusion that Jesus is just a way, not the way. He is a way among many, but I would have to do so over and against the words of Scripture. I was quite troubled by that. But there was a second insight that also came into this conversation for me. And it was this. It was uh, during my freshman year of college that I began studying the other major world religions. And I had a shocking discovery. Well, at least it was shocking for me. And that is this. As I discovered the other, uh, as I studied the other world religions, I discovered it's not just that all religions are not the same. 
It's that all religions do not even say that all religions are the same. People will point out that in all the major world religions, they agree on things like generosity and love. And that is absolutely true. But all the world religions also disagree in some profound and meaningful ways. Let me give you just a few examples. Uh, Buddhism, if you're familiar with Buddhism, and uh, started as an Eastern religion now around the globe, was started by a man in the 6th century who rejected some of the core teachings of Hinduism, another Eastern religion. He taught a non-theistic religion, a non-God religion, and believed that all life was suffering. The way to escape suffering is through the removal of desire from your life. This is the path of enlightenment. Got a feel for Buddhism? Hinduism, on the other hand, is a pantheistic religion with many, many, many gods. In fact, it's a regular practice in Hinduism to add new gods to this pantheon. I know I'm using really broad brushstrokes here, but I'm just wanting to show that there are some very different truth claims in these two Eastern religions. Let me give you another example, one you might be a little more familiar with. In Christianity, the center point of faith is the cross. The Bible says everything hinges on the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus. But listen to how the Quran, that's the holy scriptures of Islam, describes Jesus. The book of Surah, chapter 4, says, quote, Jesus was not crucified and that God forbid that he should have a son, that God is too high and too mighty, he would never have a son. Interesting. Or chapter 5 from the, uh, from the book of Surah says that unbelievers are those who say that Jesus is the Messiah, the son of Mary. Now look, my point here is not to debate the merits of any one religion. My point is simply this. They say very different things. They make very different claims. And not all of these claims can be true. There cannot both be a God and not be a God. Jesus cannot be crucified and not be crucified. One or the other has to be right. One or the other has to be wrong. They can't both be true. And this is the fundamental flaw of the elephant myth. The point made when a relativist tells a story, supposedly, is that the truth is so big, so enormous, that we can't make any true claims about it. Which I actually think misses the whole point from the beginning. Because the relativist just made an exclusive truth claim about the whole elephant that the parable says he can't make. And the entire parable presumes that there's an elephant to begin with, and not a tiger or a wombat or what I would have chosen, which is a duck-billed platypus, right? But you see, there's a logical inconsistency to this myth. Recently, a professor of religion named Stephen Prothero noted that this kind of claim, that all roads lead, that all are equally true, is kind of an odd claim that we don't make in other areas of life, like politics, economics, or education. Democracy is not the same thing as fascism. One of them is better, and we know which it is. Capitalism is not the same thing as communism. One of them is better, and I think we know which one it is. A bacon double cheeseburger is not the same thing as broccoli, and I think we know which one is better. 
You see, what I think religious pluralism gets right, what it gets right is this idea of dignity and respect. We should never, never treat someone unkindly or unjustly simply because of what they believe. But to pretend that all religions basically believe the same thing is actually to dishonor and disrespect the very religious teachings they profound. From a, plur, uh, excuse me, from a purely logical perspective, either one of them is true or none of them is true, but they cannot all be true. They simply have different, excuse me, they simply believe different things. Okay, we got kind of that philosophical piece there. That's a little heady. Do we track with that? All right, Aaron. I get your point about the elephant, and I might be willing to go along with this idea that Jesus is not just a way, but the way, or at least he claims to be. But isn't that claim, isn't that a kind of exclusive claim? Isn't it exclusive? Isn't it unfair to say that Jesus is the only way? I was thinking about that question this week, and I remembered a coffee shop in Denver, Colorado that I got to go to. And I don't know if you've been to this same one. I can't remember the name. But I remember walking up, and right adjacent to the door, front door was a sign that was hung there, and it said, Customers must wear clothes to be served. And I thought, well, how unfair to the naked people, right? Is it legal for you to discriminate against naked people to say that they have to have clothes to enter? I, I, I was just kind of thinking, is, is that exclusive to have a requirement to enter the front door? And I suppose you could say if there was someone legitimately who did not own clothes, then maybe then it wouldn't be fair. And we could talk about that. But, but kind of just reasonably thinking for a moment. See, I think there's a parallel in that to what the Bible actually teaches. But a lot of folks have never taken the time to really investigate what the scriptures teach about who can be saved and what we have to do to be saved. Look at how Romans chapter 10 addresses this question. It says, If you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. As scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Interesting. That seems rather inclusive. Anyone, everyone who calls on the name can be saved? That doesn't seem exclusive to me. But look at how some of the major world religions answer this very same question, who can be saved? In Islam, the only ones who can be saved are the pure and the righteous. In Judaism, the only ones who can be saved are the children of Abraham. In Hinduism, you remember in Hinduism, it's the highest of the five castes. If you're born into the wrong family, you cannot be saved. Uh, in Buddhism, it is only the enlightened, and in secular humanism, it is only the educated. But Jesus, but Jesus says... Everyone, anyone can be saved if they call on the name of the Lord. Regardless of background, regardless of your past, regardless of nationality, race, gender, rich or poor, anyone can call on the name of Jesus and be saved. In fact, this is actually what drove the religious leaders in Jesus' day nuts. He said everyone could get in on the salvation thing. 
Far from being an exclusive religion, Christianity might just be the most inclusive worldview that there is. Which brings us to our third and final question. Okay, Aaron, I, I think I can buy Jesus is claiming to be the way. And I might even be willing to go with you on this kind of exclusive thing. But, but it still feels a little bit arrogant and prideful. I mean, aren't Christians being arrogant when they say they know the way? You know, one of the things that really bothers me as a Jesus follower is the way I see some other Jesus followers treat people in the world who believe differently than they do. Sometimes I see Jesus followers respond with a kind of pride and arrogance that just really kind of upsets me. I recently saw a social media post uh, from a, for a multi-panel religious debate. This is the kind of stuff I love to watch. It was a video link, and there were representatives from various religious backgrounds talking about their faith. I thought, this is so cool. This is exactly how Christians should be engaging others in the world around us with humility and love. And, but then I scrolled down, and I saw the tag, the post that the person wrote underneath it. And here's what he wrote. He said, watch as Christian professor so-and-so destroys the other religious leaders. And my heart just kind of sank because I thought, man, that's not Jesus-y at all. <laughs> that's not how Jesus, Jesus wouldn't have responded. Jesus didn't come to destroy anything. Jesus came to seek and to save. And the dignity and the respect that Jesus gave to those who didn't believe, it was remarkable. Jesus taught his early followers not, not to destroy their enemies. He called them to love their enemies, to pray for their enemies. The first century Christians, many of them gave their lives for their enemies that they might know the grace and love of Jesus. Christians are called to engage the world with humility and with love just the way Jesus did. There is no room for arrogance or boasting in the Christian faith, in true Christianity. Look at how Ephesians puts it. For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. You see, Christians are not people who think of themselves as better, smarter, cleaner, fitter, less simple, or more righteous than others. They are simply people who understand themselves to be saved by grace. We are all in the same boat, and we are saved only, only, only because of what Jesus has done for us. Now, this word saved, I need to pause. I need to nerd out for just a minute because I just think this is really cool. In the Greek, it's the word sozo, and it's a really interesting word. Uh, in our day, it, it can kind of sound religious. We typically only use it in religious contexts. But in Jesus' day, it was a very ordinary word. It simply meant to rescue or to heal. Sozo is what you would do for your donkey when your donkey fell in a pit. And since all of y'all got donkeys that fall in pits, you know exactly what I'm talking about, right? It simply means to rescue and to heal. For it is by grace that you have been rescued. It is by grace that you have been healed. I think this word actually points to something that is quite unique and quite profound about Christianity. On August 5th, 2010, there was an accident so 
terrifying, so horrific that it captured the world's attention. It happened in Copiapo, Chile. Uh, There was a gold mine collapse that trapped a group of miners underground. When they began to hear the rumbles and and the caving in, they did the only thing they knew to do, which was to go deeper into the caves to a safe locker, a safe place deeper underground that they might have a chance of surviving. 33 of them managed to make it to that safe locker, but there was no escape, there was no way out, and there was no exit strategy. It was simply impossible for them to dig dig themselves out. They were buried, get this, 2,000 feet underground. Isn't that incredible? And for the next 69 days, they would wait and wait and wait for someone, anyone, to come and sozo them. Well, eventually the rescue workers on the surface managed to come up with a plan. They bored a tunnel through all 2,000 feet down to that tiny safe locker. And they had designed this little capsule that was just barely big enough for one human being to climb inside. And it had a cable attached to it. And they would send the capsule down the tube. And one at a time, the miners would climb into this little capsule. And they would be dragged by this rope and cable up to the surface again to be rescued. And the most amazing thing is after 69 days, all 33 of them were saved. If you've never seen the movie, you owe it to yourself to watch it. It is quite remarkable to see the way their faith in God sustained them, even in the darkest and most hopeless of places. But what I find so fascinating about that story for our purposes today is this. It is the way that this story represents the fundamental work of Jesus Christ in Christianity. You see, the message of Jesus could be boiled down to this. Jesus says to us, I'm going to leave up here and I'm going to come down and dig you out. See, what every religion agrees upon in one way or another is that human beings, for all the good that we are and all the beauty that we possess, and there is much, we are made in the image of God. We have taken that image and let's be honest, we have kind of mucked it up, haven't we? In one way or another, we are all blemished. We are all tarnished. We all have wounded and hurt others. We have all failed to love. We have all done the things that we know are not right and failed to do the right we know we should do. And the word that Christianity uses for that is sin, and other religions have their own word for it, but they all agree in one way or another we are all buried 2,000 feet underground. And the question is, what is the solution? And in every other major world religion, the view is that God is somewhere up here, humanity is somewhere down here, and we are left to our own devices and our own power to try and dig ourselves out and climb our way up to reach God. But it is only in Christianity, only in Christianity, where the God who is up there says, I am coming down here to rescue you, to heal you, to save you, to sozo you, and to dig you out from under that 2,000 feet of piled rock and Tim Keller, the great pastor and writer, describes it this way. He says, all other religions had prophets that came to tell us how to look for God. Jesus is the only one who said, I am God, come to look for you. See, the question that we're presented with today really is the question of, have we responded to this invitation? 
Yeah, we can get all caught up in worrying about the philosophical part of it, and, and you know, we can get stuck in the, the thing of kind of the questions of, well, what about others? And, but we are yet presented with this question, who do you say Jesus is? What Christianity believes is that we cannot be saved by our own power or by our own effort, but we are saved by grace and grace alone through faith in Jesus Christ. And it is a free gift, but it is ours for the receiving.